Well, good evening, church. Glad to be with y'all again today. I've been looking forward to the opportunity we'll have tonight to celebrate again. I always find it my greatest delights to be with my family and be able to celebrate. And when I say with my family, that would be my most immediate family as well as the family of God. Family's family, right? Some are family by blood and some are family through the blood. But family's family, amen? I don't know a single blood-bought, born-again believer in love with Jesus that does not find it their delight to gather with God's people. I've never come across one. Now, I've come across a bunch of liars, but I've never come across a true, genuine believer that does not love Jesus, that does not love Jesus' people that does not love Jesus' message Amen. and that does not love telling others about Jesus. Now, I know a lot of people and I know a lot of people that claim to love Jesus but have zero evidence that they truly love him. Now, coming here tonight, coming here week by week, sitting on a pew, that is not evidence that you love Jesus. That bears no evidence that you love Jesus. It's what you do when you seek him from day to day, week by week, every day of your life, who you live for, who you seek to know and to make known in your life. That would be a trademark of the work of Jesus. And it is evident in your life. You can't hide it. And even if you're wayward and backslidden, the evidence of Jesus is going to be on your life. The chasing in hand of the Lord. You cannot half-heartedly serve Jesus and get away with it. It just doesn't work. Now, in America, you can. In American church, in American uh, gospel and preaching, man, everybody and their brother I know out there tells me they're saved with no evidence. It just, it's just where we are today. But I don't, take a profession of somebody for granted, I look for evidence. I always look for evidence. I look for Jesus, amen? I look for Jesus. And the scripture says that you can discern in the voice of people, you can discern the voice of God at work in somebody's life. And when you don't pick it up, if it's not there, you know Jesus is not there, amen? That's why Paul would say this, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse number 22, when he was closing out his letter to the church at Corinth, he says these words. He says, if a man does not love the Lord Jesus, that same man is still anathema. The word anathema means to be condemned. They're still under condemnation. And the word love that he used there was the word phileo love. And a phileo love, most of you would probably know this. What does the word phileo, Philadelphia kind of love, what does that mean? Uh, what kind of love? A brotherly love. So it means an affection toward Jesus. You could use the word instead of love, you could actually use the word like. So Paul said this, if a man doesn't like Jesus, that same man is still condemned in his sins. Because if a man doesn't like Jesus, that man's not going to make his life about Jesus. Because you can't like Jesus and not love him. Amen? It's impossible. How many of you ever liked somebody and you hardly knew anything about them? Come on now, you know what I'm talking about. Have you ever met anybody? You didn't know much about them, but you knew something about them you liked about them. As much as have you ever met somebody that you didn't know much about but you didn't like them? You know what I'm talking about? That same principle happens when you like people. And when you normally like somebody, even though you don't know much about them, what do you want to do, Miss Alona? You want to find out a little bit what? More about them. Like you, you're interested in 
Are they married or they're not married? Do they have children or do they not have children? Do they have grand arrows or do they not have grand arrows? What kind of work do they do? Uh, what would they, where do they live? What do they do in life? What are the things they like in life? Why? Because you're interested in them. And when you're interested in people, you have a tendency to what? Invest in them. Y'all invest in things all the time that you know very little about. How I many you do research when you're watching a movie or watching a show and you'll want to know who this character is because, man, I like him. I want to know what he's in. The other movies that he's in. Are you, are you with me? Come on, Campbell. You, talk, you, you know what I'm talking about? But yes, well, you do that too, don't you? Yes, sir. You just want to find out more about them. Why? Because something just lit a fire in you that, man, I like that person. I like their character. I like who they are. I like how they act. I like the way they talk. And the more you find out about them, usually you will like them even more. Now, there are some cases, the more you find out about somebody, you realize you don't like them the way you thought you liked them. Are you ready? That ever happened to you? Come on, have you ever met a, just a complete stranger? Man, that, that guy's pretty cool. That guy's pretty cool. Well, that's the kind of like that Paul's referring to. And if a person doesn't have that kind of like for Jesus, it is evident they still have a stony heart that we talked about last night. Remember that stony heart that we said Israel has right now? Yes, sir. And what we say about that stony heart? That that heart is dead to God? As a whole, why is Israel's hearts dead to God? Because they are still under those blinders because we are in the times of the Gentiles. And until the times of the Gentiles are done, and it's a specific time, it's a specific amount of people, it's specific. God never, ever, ever does anything accidentally. Nothing He's always intentional and purposeful in everything he does when he saves and sanctifies, seals and set aparts and secures people for the promised land. That is an intentional, purposeful work that God does that nobody else can do. And he calls this time frame that we're in right now the time of the Gentiles. And the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 11 and 25 that the Jews currently living without Jesus are an enemy to the gospel. They are literally an enemy to the things of God. Right now, yes, the beloved Jew is an enemy to what we preach and teach every day of our life. But does God have a plan for them? He does. Maybe not the ones living today. It may still be down the road. It could be tomorrow. We just don't know. But one of these days, we believe it's probably fairly soon, God is going to bring all those Jews back to Jerusalem. He's gathering them together. Remember what we said in Ezekiel 37? Those valley of dry bones. How when he prophesied to them, all those, the fleshly things started coming back together and they put flesh on them bones. But that person, all those bones, and now with all that flesh on it, was had everything needful to be something, but it still had no life in them. Why? Because God didn't breathe life in them yet. Well, see, that's still coming. Now, what he's doing and going to do for the Jew in the future day, he's already doing among the brethren, the church. Every time he makes a new creature in Christ Jesus, he takes that old stony heart out of them. He puts his spirit in them and gives them a heart of flesh, remember? And we said that heart of flesh, you don't talk about it, you don't look at it like the flesh nature of a person that is carnal and bad. You look at it as something that is now what? Right? Remember what we said about this rock? That rock can't feel that, can it? But if I hit Brother David aside the head right now, y'all would have to call 911, right? More than likely. And if I hit him on the hand, put your hand right up there for me, Dave. You ready? Get your teeth, brother. You ready? I wouldn't hit him, y'all know that. But if I did, just like you, you would buckle to your knees, wouldn't you? How many have ever had a smush finger? A smushed toe. How many have ever stubbed your toe? Oh, man. You was praying for sanctification, right? If you had no control over your mouth, you'd be saying things you regretted, right? 
You totally forget that you got another thumb on this other hand that's just as good and well and good. You forget your heart is beating real good until it beats and it throbs, right? You know what I'm talking about. Why? Because our flesh is frail. And it's sensitive to light. It's sensitive to heat. It's sensitive to a blow. But a, but a rock's not. Stone is not. You can put a flame on this stone all day and you'll never hear it crying. You'll never hear, it will not move away from the flame. As I illustrated last night, I'm going to set it up on this right here. Now y'all watch. Y'all watch and see if this rock moves. Is it going anywhere? It won't go nowhere. Come up here, Miss Alona. Now, Miss Alona, I want you to sit on this pew Sit on this pew, and I'm going to burn Miss Alona's arm, and we're going to see if she moves. <laughs> Y'all watch her. Put your arm out. Put your arm out. She's already wanting to move, right? Oh, yes. You know, I know better. <laughs> Why? Because she's made of flesh. Her skin, her body is what? Sensitive to that flame. That rock never flinched. You see, that's why a dead heart, a stony heart, a heart that doesn't like Jesus, therefore they can't love Jesus, is not moved by Jesus. The evidence of a person that belongs to Jesus is that they consistently and regularly, from the point of being made a new creature in Christ Jesus, they're moved by him in life. They're sensitive to his voice. They're sensitive to his shepherding lead in their life. And they're moved by it. That was the testimony of Noah. By faith, Noah, when he was divinely warned by God, moved with fear. The fear of the Lord. He gave place to the word of God because he believed what God said. Why? Because Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And as a result of finding grace in the eyes of the Lord, that means Noah's life was transformed and changed to the point where he could be sensitive to what God was doing in his life, sensitive to what God had plans to come in this life, and therefore Noah, by faith, prepared an ark for the saving of his household. Why? Because Noah was transformed by the grace of God. And because he was transformed by grace, now he can, by faith, hear God. He can hear him through this faith. And what faith is, is the idea of hearing, heeding, honoring, and holding forth what God put in you. Amen. You heard him. You heeded what you heard. Therefore, you honored it in obedience and now you hold it forth as the way that you live life. Amen. You hold it forth to other people. The scripture says, by faith, Noah condemned his generation in righteousness. Why? Anytime by faith you stand with God, you condemn everything that doesn't stand with him. Amen. So you don't have to be shy about your faith in Christ. When you stand with Jesus, you cast condemnation on everything else. Every time. It's a gift to be able to stand with God. Because in the world we live in, isn't it under the wrath of God? Isn't it under condemnation? Isn't it a product of the fall? See, the flood didn't fix it. Matter of fact, the scripture says that what was in Noah was transferred to his sons and what was in his sons' wives were transferred to their children and that every inclination of the heart of men was desperately wicked and evil even after the flood. That's why we needed a redeemer, amen. That's right. Who would stand in our place, live and be tested and live a life of righteousness on our behalf. And the more you know about this Redeemer, you can't help but fall more in love with him. You can't help it. I take no claim on anybody 
that tells me they know Jesus but don't love Jesus. So much as they don't like him enough to seek him and search him out, find out who he is, what he's done, why he does what he does, why he works in people like you and me. Why and how could he work in somebody like myself? And how could he work in somebody like you? And when I come across people that do not desire to know him, their idea of what they have about salvation is always in question to me. Because it don't line up with the revelation, the light that we have of Jesus and the kind of work that Jesus does in his people's life. It, it, always, it always stands contrast to him. And therefore, that's why we look at it from the grace of God. What, what is Titus chapter 2? Anybody know what Titus chapter 2 verse 11 through 14 teaches? Titus 2.11 through 14 says this. For the grace of God which bringeth salvation has appeared unto what? All men. All men. And what is this grace teaching us? Grace has an agenda. Grace has a purpose. And the grace of God, if you know anything about grace, this is what you need to know. The grace of God teaches man, and the grace of God is personified in Jesus. This is, I'm going to show you this in a moment. The grace of God teaches man to do several things. Number one, it teaches us how to say no to us. And when you live in a world and live among people who can never say no to themselves, they have no idea what grace is. Because grace has a primary agenda to teach you to say what? No to teaching us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust that we should live what? Soberly, righteously, and godly where? In this present age. You see, people have an idea about grace that grace is, is that I'm okay with Jesus. Now I can live how I want, go where I want, serve when I want, be what I want, and live however I want, and you can't say nothing about it. Well, hogwash, that ain't grace. That ain't Jesus. That ain't Jesus. That ain't grace. Matter of fact, the scripture says, no man liveth unto himself, and no man dieth unto himself. For this reason the Lord lived, died, and rose again that he might be Lord over the living and the dead. Amen? Because of grace. Grace is so much more demanding on your life than any Old Testament law. Your death. That you die. For Jesus said it himself. If a man doesn't deny himself, take up the cross and come after me, he can't what? He can't what? He can't follow me. He can't follow me. He can't be mine. If he can't deny himself, take up his cross and follow me, he cannot be mine. He don't belong to me. Amen? He's saying it's impossible for somebody to tell you that they are mine and they can't deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. Why? Because I so radically take out the heart of stone in them and I put my spirit in them and I give them a heart of flesh that's moved by me. Amen? Amen. And that's the, that's the glorious picture of the working of the grace and the glory of God in our lives. Amen? What, what does the next verse say? Look what it says. It says, teaching us, instructing us, Verse 13, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So now we know what, what, what this grace is about. It's about who? Jesus. Who what? What's the next verse say? Who gave himself on our behalf that he might what? Redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself what his own peculiar people who are what? Zealous for good works. You know why they zealous for good works? You know why they love him? They know him. You know why they know him? Because of grace. You know why they have grace? Because Jesus Christ lived according to the grace of God and tasted death on behalf of all of us. That he might bring all his brothers 
safely unto his father. Amen. Oh, Hebrews chapter 2 says he lived and tasted death by the grace of God on our behalf. So salvation by grace isn't just the idea how we receive the wondrous workings of Jesus. Jesus himself lived according to the grace of God. In Romans chapter 5 in verses number 14 and 15 I believe it is if you'll pull it up we'll see this. It talks about two dynamics of the grace of God. You got the grace that saves, that's grace of the Father and the gift of grace which is righteousness by the Son. Look what he says up here. Nevertheless death reigned from Adam to Moses even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression who is the figure of him that who was to come. That would be Jesus. That tells us that God had a plan to send Jesus before Adam ever came in the world. Amen. Why? Because Jesus is the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Notice the next verse. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense one of one many be dead, that's all of us, much more than, watch, the grace of God. That's that eternal dynamic of the grace of God that Ephesians talks about and the idea of by grace you are saved through faith. This is the working. This is the root of it. The grace of God is the root. What is the result? The gift of grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look, and the gift by grace which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. Amen? You see, the life that Jesus lived, he lived according to the grace of God on our behalf. That's why with this two dynamics of this manifestation of grace, why the gift of righteousness can be transferred to us because the Lord Jesus fulfilled every aspect of the grace of God on our behalf. I didn't have to fulfill it. He fulfilled it. He finished it. He accomplished it. He lived what I could never live. And as a result, because he could, now God can be just and the justifier of somebody like myself. And now he comes and lives within me and he's given me everything pertaining to life and godliness so that Nick can know how to say no to Nick. And yes to Jesus. Amen. Amen. So when I come across people who totally have a misunderstanding of grace, and I come across them everywhere all the time, they have this idea that, man, I can say I love Jesus and go live how I want to live. Well, it just doesn't work that kind of way. His grace demands every facet of your life. Jesus paid the ransom. He gave his life. He clothed himself in flesh so that I would not have to clothe myself in the wrath of God for all eternity. And that kind of difference makes a difference in my everyday life. Now, does that mean I'll do things flawlessly? By no means. If I would do it flawlessly, if I had the capability of doing that on my own, there would have been no need for Jesus to even come. I won't do it flawlessly, but one thing's for sure. Those that he saves know him. And those that he saves know him and love him. And those that love him, as the scripture said, this is how it works. Paul said it's not so much as you know him, but now you are known by him. You know what that means? That means you open your life up to him and you give him everything and you know he still loves you. And what that does, that draws you even more closely to him. Amen? Amen. And boy, you talk about a work of transformation that he does in your life. And therefore, you want to know him and know his ways. And therefore, as a result, as we started out with last night, this is what we're praying for our neighbors because our neighbors without Jesus still have the stony heart. That's why they're not moved by it. Why you don't have to be shocked and stunned and amazed that they don't love Jesus or they don't treasure him or they don't like him. They cannot like him. They cannot love him. They won't serve him. They don't treasure him. They can't even see him with a dead heart. But we keep loving them anyway. Amen. We keep living for Jesus anyway. 
We keep telling them about Jesus. We keep praying for them. We keep lifting them up. Why? Because they can't save themselves. God must do the saving. So who are we more dependent on saving out of everybody? Who do we depend on more to do the saving? Do we depend on them to get it right or do we depend on God to do something in their life? So if we depend on God to do something in our life, we know that God never makes a mistake when he does anything, right? And he's always intentional and purposeful, and therefore we can rest in him and not fret before him that he will save them in his timing for his glory when he's ready. If they ever be saved, he's the one's got to save them, and therefore we'll keep interceding for them, and we're not going to let them get under our skin. Are you with me? Why? Because we're not going to put more confidence in them doing something that only God can do. So we're going to put our confidence in the Lord. And when you put your confidence in the Lord and you wait upon the Lord, there's great promises for God's people when you wait upon him. Amen? Amen. What does he say he'll do for you when when you're connected to him, when you wait upon him? The word connect means to be bound together. It means to be intertwined with him. It's like putting these zip ties together and connecting them to be one. If I was to put these zip ties, here they are. They're together now. If I was to take Brother Roy's horns and put him in here and bind them together, we can keep him from taking notes tonight, right? Hey, man, don't do that. He's locked up now. Where's your scissors, Miss Alona? I did bring them. Miss Alona! <laughs> oh, Lord. Get him out, baby. <laughs> can somebody take notes for me, please? You see how he's bound? And as it time became one, that's the idea of waiting upon the Lord. It's being so intimately connected to Him when God does a thing. Thank you, brother. When God does a thing, you do a thing. You're with Him. And what's the promises of that? What does Isaiah teach us about waiting upon the Lord? They that wait upon the Lord shall what? Come on, y'all, help me now. Mount up with wings. Mount up with wings as eagles. They shall what? Run and and they shall walk and not faint because they're what? Connected to him. Brother Roy has got an eagle on his shelf in his office. And I almost brought it in here tonight. But when I lifted that eagle off the shelf and thought about bringing it in, it has a head on it. But when you pull the head out, it's got a knife in it. So I said, I ain't bringing it. I'm putting that bag right there. But I was going to put that eagle up here. And no matter how we prayed for that eagle, no matter what we said to that eagle, no matter what, that eagle would never come to life. Won't come to life. You see, but the scripture says we shall mount up on wings as eagles. So think about that for me. Have you ever seen anybody flying on eagle's wings? What is that? Would that be an impossibility? Yes, yes. That's an impossibility. You'll never see a person flying on an eagle's wings. But the scriptures tell us that God bore his people as on eagle wings and brought them out of Egypt and brought them out of this and delivered up. What it is saying, exactly the mentality of it, is that when we connect and wait upon the Lord, God does impossible things through our life. Amen. When he says we wait upon the Lord, not only the impossible, but we also will run. Anytime you ever see the scriptures refer to running, anytime you ever see the scriptures refer to a course, uh, as this, Paul would say that, that he had a course to run, that we had to run the race that God has set before us, that is always in connection with the idea of the will of God for our life, that God has a specific race for you to run. Everybody in the kingdom of God that belongs to Jesus has a race to run, a race to run. Paul said how he ran his race is that he didn't consider his life dear to himself, that he may finish the course that God had given him and the ministry that God put in his life. That's in Acts chapter 20. That's how you're going to run your race. That's how I'm going to run my race. Hebrews 12 would say it like this, cast off the sin that so easily besets you and look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, and what? Run that race with joy that he sets before us. And he continues to set that race before us. So we can do impossible things and fulfill the mission that he's given us in life.
It's, it's the same thing that the scriptures refer to like in Nehemiah 8. You know in Nehemiah 8 when the people of God realized they were doing the will of God and the prophet stood up and said, hey, don't, don't be weeping or crying for you doing this is the joy of the Lord and the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is the will of God. The joy of the Lord is the way of God. The joy of the Lord is what Jesus meant when he said that you bear your cross. You see, we don't put a cross on our shoulder. Did I see a cross here? Yeah, I see a cross here. There's a cross right here. None of us are to die the same way that Jesus died when he died upon the cross. That's why the scripture says that when the shepherd was struck, God scattered the sheep. Nobody was going to the cross with Jesus when he went to the cross. Peter couldn't go. None of the other apostles could go. John couldn't go. He isolated Jesus and put him on a cross that nobody else could take any credit for except the one who died for the sins of men. And nobody else has ever died for our sins. You won't die for nobody else's sins. Matter of fact, you won't even die for your own sins. He died for your sins. And you'll never bear the cross that he bared. But you see, that was the will of God for Jesus. That was his purpose. And God has a purpose for you. And the purpose for you is you bearing that cross that he's given you to bear or we can term it your race that he's given you to run. Well, you won't run it unless you're connected to him. You gotta be waiting on him, amen? Remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11 when he said, you that are heavy laden and burdened, what do you need to do? What do you do? He said, come unto me. Come unto me, you that are what? Weary or burdened and heavy laden and put my yoke, what? Upon you and learn from me for my yoke is what? Easy and it's light to what? Bear. A yoke, a burden is a burden for a purpose. That means you got something to accomplish. You see, but when you yoke to Jesus and you're learning from him, you are now fulfilling the will of God in your life. And now he's going to strengthen you. He's going to give you a rest in that. But the rest is not from the work. The rest is what? In your soul. Amen. God never gives his people rest from work. He gives them rest in the work. So all them lazy brethren you know who like to lay up at the house on a regular basis and are not serving Jesus, just tell them they need to get reconnected to Jesus. Amen? Because you can't be connected to Jesus and yoked to Jesus and the zeal of the Lord not working in and throughout your life. So don't let nobody fool you. Amen? If, if people are not being spent for the glory of God, they're out of the will of God. People not being spent for the glory of God is out of the will of God. Either they don't know him or they're out of the will of God. For an example, y'all remember when Moses was entertained by the Lord out in that wilderness when he was shepherding the sheep and God grab Moses' attention? What did Moses see that grabbed his attention the first thing he saw? What did he see? He saw a what? A, Miss Alona said a burning bush. Would y'all agree? He saw a burning bush. Y'all done got quiet about this being spent for the zeal of the Lord. Y'all under conviction, I can tell. <laughs> he saw a burning bush. What got his attention was the bush was on fire. But it wasn't burning. Why was the bush not burning? Because God didn't need the bush to fuel himself. Just like God doesn't need you to fuel his work. What he'll do is fuel you for his work. He will consume you without consuming you. Amen? He will consume you without consuming you. 
He will burn you without burning you out. And if you're being burnt out and being consumed in your own strength, it's simply because you're not yoked to Jesus. You're not waiting upon the Lord. And you're struggling in the race. That's why he then says in Isaiah 40, they that wait upon him will do impossible things. They'll fulfill the mission. But he says they'll walk and not faint. Walking is always in relationship to just everyday life. They'll just live everyday life without fainting in everyday life. Y'all know the world's on edge right now? Yes, sir. Why's the world on edge? Well, the world is on edge because the world doesn't have answers for what's coming. And everybody, when you don't have solutions and answers for life, how many of y'all remember in school, we got a teacher in here, how many of you ever watched your English students in the seventh and eighth grade at McLeod, right? At McLeod, did you, do you ever see, you got one in here right now? You got two of them in here. Have these old boys ever gotten nervous when you gave a test? You ever see them squirming in their seat? How many of y'all ever got nervous when y'all had to take a test and you knew you didn't have the solutions for it? Now that teacher's got all the solutions, right? Do you ever, come on up here with me tonight. Come on. Come on up here. This is important for us. Here's an English teacher who gives tests. Do you ever give a test without an answer key for yourself? Do you have every answer key? Would it be silly for you to put a test before your students and not know the answers to the test you give them? Absolutely. That wouldn't make much sense, huh? Mm-hmm. Do you think God ever tests his students but doesn't have the answers to the test that he gives us? And the scripture says God tests all his righteous people. He's always bringing us in and bringing us through because he's refining us. He's transforming us. Last night I asked a few things about what is God doing right now and we mentioned several of them in here and when we got home, Miss Alona said, I was gonna say that he's transforming us and that's exactly right. How does he do that? By the renewing of our mind. We sang about it all night. What else is he doing? The scripture says in John 14 that he's going to prepare a place for us, amen. James says that when you enter in the troubles and trials, count it all joy. Why? Because God is at work in your life and if you lack the answers, come to him, believe it in faith, he has the wisdom for you for the problem that you have. It's not a problem for God, just like the problems you give your students is not a problem for you, it's only a problem for those that don't have the answer. I was one of those English students that rarely ever had the solution to the problem, so I was always in trouble in English. I didn't get good, great, thank you for your help tonight. I didn't get, well, let me, hey, before you go, come here. Let me ask you this. You, boys, raise your hand up. Who's, okay. If these two boys, let's say one of them decides he's going to go hunting with his daddy and stays home one day, he said that'll work, wouldn't it? You ready, huh? They don't show up to class. Are you still going to hold them accountable for what you taught on that day that they could have learned had they been in class? Absolutely. Hey, you say it again? Absolutely. Y'all hear that, boy? <laughs> They know I will. They know it. Thank you. Well, let me ask you this. Do you think God's not going to hold us accountable for what we do know? But I believe he's also going to hold us accountable for what we could have known had we been in the position to hear what he wanted to teach us, but we were somewhere else where we shouldn't have been and not where we should have been. Do you still think he's going to hold us accountable for what we should have known? Yeah, you're not going to have any excuses with him. Amen? Just not going to happen. So this is what I encourage you to do tonight. The whole point of all this is get us to a place where we realize that God's doing something today and he's filling the earth up with his glory. He's filling the earth up with the knowledge of his glory. We started on the last night. We're gonna keep going through this whole week. But turn to John chapter 17 and I'm gonna show you this before we go tonight just to give you a little process to think about. John chapter 17 and I want you to see. I don't know about y'all but one of our big, I mentioned 
in regards last night that we don't have really as much as a problem with our past as we do in the present with commitment to the Lord. Because what Proverbs 16.3 says, if you commit to the Lord, he'll establish your thinking for you. And if you won't commit, it's because you don't trust. But if you'll commit to him, God will establish the way you think in life. And I don't know about you, there's nobody in here that needs God to establish his thinking more than me. I, I got to have him doing that for me. But the problem is, is that learning the things of God is not the hard thing. Unlearning all the junk that you've learned in life, that's the difficult thing. God's the best teacher in the world, amen? The hard part is not learning his way. He's given us the grace and the sufficient grace and the revelation of himself and the light of himself and he promises I'll, he'll teach you if you commit to him. The problem is that most of us have too much trash in our heads and in our hearts. How many of you know a hoarder? Anybody know a hoarder? You a hoarder? She's readily admitting it. Anybody else know a hoarder? Everybody in here has to learn how to deal with waste in life, right? Everybody in here. Everybody in here is an active participant in knowing how to take out the trash, knowing how to flush a toilet, knowing how to do all those things properly and rightly. And when you come across somebody that can't get rid of stuff in their life and they just hoard everything, we normally say they've got some kind of... Come on, y'all tell me, what do they normally have? They have some kind of mental issue. We would say they're they are hoarders and they don't know how to process properly what is precious and what is trash. And because of that, they co collect both the precious things and the things of trash and they hold on to them because they can't discern the difference on it. Well, the same thing happens is that everybody in here knows somebody who's a mental hoarder. They hold the mental lies and falsehoods and deceptions of this world and they keep it in their mind and they keep it in their heart and they don't know how to process it. They don't know how to get rid of it and they don't know how to separate which is precious from the vine. And I want to tell you that becomes a problem, doesn't it? And you can't manifest the glory of God in our life if my life is full with lies and falsehoods and untruths and deception. That's the whole point of grace. It's freeing us from those lies so that we can follow after Jesus. And in John 17, Jesus asked the Father to do this. And this is, I want to just close with this tonight for you to think about and we'll pick up on it tomorrow and then we'll travel through both Older and Newer Testament looking at these, these ideas that nobody done this more effectively than the Lord Jesus himself. Look at verse chapter number 17, look at verse number 1. Jesus spoke, John 17, verse number 1. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven, and he said, this is his priestly prayer. Father, the hour has come, do what? Glorify, Glorify your son. Now Jesus would never ask the Father to do something that wasn't in his will. So he's just asking what his purpose was in coming according to the grace of God. That your son, in doing your purpose for what I came, may do what? Glorify you. Now, Jesus lives in the people of God. And therefore, we would see this desire in our own life. Verse 2. As you have given him, Jesus, authority over all flesh. And y'all say amen to that. Amen. amen. He has authority over all flesh. A good reference there would be Jeremiah 27 in verse number 5. Jeremiah 27 5 says God gives authority to whomever he chooses to give authority. Put it up there for us. Where are you at? Jeremiah 27 5. 27 5. It's coming. All right. Notice this word right here. This is the same principle in relationship to rulers and now the king of kings that have come to the earth. Notice what this word says in Jeremiah. I have made the earth. And all God's people said, Amen. who made the earth? God made the earth. That's right. Who's Jesus? He's the word, right? In the beginning was 
the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and all things that were made that were made were made through Him and by Him. Amen. So He's the Creator. God says, I've made the earth, the man, and the beast that are upon the ground by my great power and by my outstretched arm, and I, God, have given it unto whom it seemed me or fit unto me. Does God still operate that way? God changes not, right? So the powers that be are where they are because God's given them. You don't have to fret over it. That's why Paul told Timothy that we're to lift holy hands unto the Lord with no fear in doubting for what God has given. That's saying with no animosity and no anxiety in our heart for the current administration and leadership over America. God gives people for judgment and he gives people for mercy. But God chooses who's in authority and not man. Are you with me? Listen to what he says. Next verse, verse 6. And now, at that time, I have given all these lands into the hand of who? Nebuchadnezzar didn't have no clue of this. Nebuchadnezzar just thought that he had a vision to conquer everybody, and he was amazed that he could conquer everybody, but the only reason he could conquer everybody is because God did what? Gave it to him. Are you with me? God gave it to Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant. Why? He's doing what God wanted him to do. And the beast of the field have I given him also to serve him. So the land, the people, and the beast were all going to belong to Nebuchadnezzar. And nobody could withstand him. Verse 8. Yeah, verse 8. Y'all struggling now, aren't you? <laughs> and it shall come to pass that the nation in kingdom which shall not serve the same Nebuchadnezzar, the king of the Babylon, and that will not put their neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon, that nation or that person will I punish, saith the Lord, with the sword and with famine and with pestilence, until I, God, have consumed them by his hand. Now, you just put Jesus in that same picture there. Jesus just said, Father, you've given me authority over all flesh. And whoever will not come under my authority, who will not come under my yoke, will surely perish. Are you with me? And he says, listen, let's read, go back to 17 again. Look in this verse number two. For you have given him authority over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as you have what? Oh, you gotta be given by God to come to Jesus. Verse three, and this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. You see, it's knowing him, Miss Alona, and when you know him, you what? You love him, and when you love him, you treasure him, and when you treasure him, you trust in him, and when you trust in him and treasure in him, man, you serve him and you want to tell everybody about him, amen? There ain't no other way around it. No other way around it. Now go over to verse 20 through 22, 17, 20. He said, I do not pray for those alone, but I also pray for those who will believe in me through their word, through their preaching of me that they, them and the believers, all may be one as you are, Father. You are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. Verse 22. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one just as we're one. The glory that you gave me. Well, what glory did he give him? The glory that he gave him was to make the Father known on the earth. That's why Jesus said, if you've seen me, who did you see? He, Jesus said, whatever I do, I do for my Father. 
whatever you hear me say, I say it for my Father. They said, well, show us the Father. He says, have not I been with you this long and you asked me to show you Father? If you see me, you've seen my Father. Why? That was the glory placed upon his life to reveal the knowledge of the splendor and the saving grace of God the Father upon the earth. And I want to tell you that's the same glory that he places within the hearts of his people that they walked, and that's how we become one. Not, not manifesting our glory, not wanting our glory, not wanting to do our thing, but what? Being consumed with him who doesn't need our fuel to fuel him. Matter of fact, he consumes us without consuming us. He teaches us when we yoke to him. We get to do impossible things, run the race that he's given us, and walk through this life for his glory and people see God on us because we are manifesting the exact same thing that the son came to manifest when he came upon this earth. Why? Because we're not making it about us. Grace has taught us to deny ourselves and to say yes to Jesus. Amen. To say yes to Jesus. And man, we just go forward in his name, revealing his glory upon this earth. The angel said the earth is full of his glory. But you'll never see it until he takes the heart of stone out and puts the heart of flesh in. Then we can see and then we can go help other people see what we never saw until he made us a new creature in Christ Jesus. Amen. Tonight some of you may still need to be made a new creature in Christ Jesus. I want to tell you in here, all authority has been given to Jesus. And if you don't bow the knee to Jesus, if you don't get under his yoke, just like Nebuchadnezzar would consume those who wouldn't follow him, those that don't follow the Lord Jesus will be consumed as well. But it won't fare out well for them. Amen? I want to tell you, Jesus is king. And he's the king of kings and lord of lords. And he is worth everything you got. Let him consume you tonight. Amen? Let him consume you. Would you stand with us? Father, we bless you. We thank you. We ask you to help us. Consume us. Use us in whatever way you see fit. I need help. I know everybody in here. It's not what we can do on our own, but what you've done. So therefore, we throw our lives upon you and your mercy and your grace. And I pray that you would set people free in this place tonight. And that we would take upon this heart of Jesus this glory that you gave him that we would see that he gave me that glory to make you known in all the earth. And we're going to praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.